Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Seacoast Church. We are continuing today our series on the book of Acts, encountering the Holy Spirit. My name is Joel Joshua Delph, born June 1st, 1983, in sunny San Diego. But my friends call me Mr. Rogers. Uh, so honored that you're here. Really honored that we get to share God's word together. And uh, God gave me Acts 17 for you today. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Acts 17. And he also gave me a Rubik's Cube to talk to you about today. I'm really pumped about that. Um, but before we get into the word of God, could we take a moment to pray for Israel together? You know, we study a Middle Eastern religion. And if you go to Israel, that is the only Bible character outside of the Holy Spirit and Jesus who's still alive walking through the earth today. And when you go to Israel, if you dig anywhere, you have to have an archaeologist on site because they're still uncovering thousands of years of history of where you go. And I think that it's really important for us to take a moment to pray for our friends who live there. If you go to Israel, it's a really young nation, like half the nation's under the age of 40, real young. And last fall, I was there, and while I was walking out of the museum, I saw this soldier, and I had to take a picture of him. I took a picture of him because he had this huge smile on his face while he was on his two-year duty to protect his country because all Israelis are ready for the next war because there's a saying in the Middle East, which is this, push the Israelis into the sea. And so they're always fighting for their life. And oftentimes when we look at problems, we can see them two-dimensionally. So you see them as bad or as good. And we look at the world that way, bad or good. Meanwhile, when we hold our problems in our hands, we know that they're really complex. And the war that's going on right now it's been going on for thousands of years, and it's really complex, but the thing we know we all can do is pray. So let's do that. Father, we come into your presence with grateful hearts, and I confess to you that I am no celebrity. I'm no influencer. There is nothing special about me. I am an ordinary, unschooled man who has walked with Jesus. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you've radically transformed my life, and today I have the opportunity to share of your goodness, grace, hope, and love. And today, we join together as one church in Mount Pleasant, in Manning, in Somerville, online, and we unite our faith with the promised land, with the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we ask you, Lord God, to keep innocence safe, smite out evil, and may your name be glorified above all else. We know that war is the most complex thing that we do, and we pray, Lord God, that your peace, which surpasses all understanding, will rest and abide and live in the hearts of those who are fighting for their lives. We pray, Lord God, that you will meet with us today as we open your inerrant, perfect word. Bless us today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. After I took that picture, I grabbed my journal when I was in Israel, and I wrote this phrase, and I thought that it was true in the moment when I took the picture. It's true when we see 
Israel right now or Ukraine right now or our life right now. And it's this phrase, holy ground is hostile territory. I'll say it again. Holy ground, whatever it is that is holy. Uh, marriage is holy. Uh, relationships are holy. The way you parent your kids has a generational impact. Like your finances are holy. Your, your job, like your job is holy. Whatever it is that's holy is hostile territory. And so at some point, all of us are in the middle of a battle for our lives. All of us are in a war. And the worst wars are the ones you don't even know you're fighting. Um, when I met my wife and realized she was the one, I had like the list of people that she had to meet to make sure I was seeing what I was seeing and it was the right thing. And one of them was my friend Tracy. And Tracy, we went to school together and um, I introduced her to my wife and it was at this lunch. And uh, my wife went to the bathroom and Tracy like jumped across the table and like grabbed me by the shirt and said, she's the one we've been looking for. You better not mess this up. Have you been single so long that your problems become we problems with all your friends? <laughs> that was me. Tracy is an officer, United States Marine Corps. She's a major right now. Shouts out to everyone who serves our country and brave men and women. Aren't you grateful for people who keep us safe? And, and I remember one deployment, Tracy got back and I was like, how was the deployment? She's like, it's good. I can't wait to go back. And I was like, go back. Why? She's like, leading Marines when they're not on mission is so hard because these 19 year olds are distracted all the time. They're marrying girls they met for the first weekend. They're drinking too much. They're jumping Humvees. But when they're on workup for deployment, they're focused. And when they're focused, they can do anything. Same is true for the church. When we're focused, when we're on mission, we can do anything. We sacrificially give and we build more campuses so that the work of God may go forth. We do things like dream centers and we give sacrificially to people who are in need. But when we're distracted, ooh, it's a scary place to be as a distracted Christian. And the worst war you could ever be in is the one you don't even know you're fighting. That's why the Lord himself had to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this great counselor that lives inside of each believer that helps you see that there's more to the story. Not just good, not just oh, wrong color, oh, yellow. Oh, there it is. Not good, good or bad, good or bad. But there's more to the story. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We think about why Jesus came to the earth, but we don't think a whole lot about why he had to leave. He came to the earth to become the word, 
wrapped in flesh to live among us. He came to the earth to perform miracles, signs, and wonders so we may believe in him. He came to the earth to translate the love of our heavenly father that got lost through prophets, that got lost through tablets. He had to come himself, but he had to leave so he could give the advocate, the Holy Spirit, which lives inside of all of us. And so we're going to spend a good bit of time in Acts chapter 17 today, but I just want to really quickly share with you four things that the Holy Spirit is doing in the book of Acts and is doing in my life. And if you're aware of it, he'll do it in your life as well. The Holy Spirit always reinforces the word of God. The Holy Spirit always reinforces the word of God. When you read through the book of Acts and one of the disciples or Paul is being sent out to a new city. They'll talk about the good news of Jesus and the resurrection and people will listen to them and then they'll grab their scriptures and read it and discuss it and say, oh yeah, that's right. That's what they did with the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. They heard the word and then they went home and they read their Bibles and they fact-checked. Don't you fact-check with Google in your life. Fact-check with the word of God. And so... They fact check and they're like, wow. And the Holy Spirit always reinforces the word of God. Let me say it another way. Holy Spirit ain't going to give you a loophole for your favorite sin. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to wait till I'm married, but it just feels right. And I know they're the one. <laughs> anyway. uh, uh, famous comedian and uh, for many years, uh, host of The Daily Show, Trevor Noah. Uh, his mom is a Bible scholar. And he said this about the Bible the other day in an interview, and I, I can't stop thinking about it. And he said, it blows me away that my mom reads the same book every single day, and it always means something fresh for her. And it doesn't matter where I'm at in the world. Every day he gets an email from his mom with the verse of the day and what it means. And he's like, it, she's been studying her whole life, and it's still fresh. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit acts as a guide. How many of y'all, like, your life is kind of confusing and you just need a tour guide to get you past where you're at? And we see that in the book of Acts. We see how the believers are propelled to go to a new city, held back from going where they want to go, redirected when they thought they were going one way, they go somewhere else. Because the Holy Spirit is tugging and pulling and leading them. And the Holy Spirit will do the same thing for you. The Holy Spirit acts as a guide. I was talking to this guy uh, on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. And I was giving him some real good advice at the church. Y'all would have been proud of me. You're like, that's what pastors say. And so I was talking to him and I was encouraging him. And he has a gift of teaching and he, he's feeling called to go into ministry. And I said, hey, you should be training and preparing. Da, 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 da. And, and, um, and I could tell that he was hearing it, but he wasn't feeling it. And I saw Jason Bell, who's in my small group. He was walking by the cafe. And I said, hey, Jason, come over here. He's like, what? What are you doing? I said, hey, Jason, this is my friend. Pray for him. And I just walked back. And, and, and Jason, who is a spirit-led man of God, he goes, the Lord's giving you the gift to teach, huh? And he starts praying for this man. And he lays hands on him, and he talks about the season of preparation that God is leading him in. And it was, a, it was a moment where I could have kept talking to that guy, or I could have listened to the guidance of the Holy Spirit that said, you better tag Jason in the game. Such an amazing moment. 
baptism. Every single time I, I get to baptize someone, one of the most common things people say is, I don't know why, but I just feel led to do it today. I know logically what I'm supposed to do, but today I know I'm feeling led. The Holy Spirit equips us in our weakness. You're not strong enough to do this on your own strength, and you weren't built to do it on your own strength. That's why the Lord himself sent the Holy Spirit to make you stronger than you ever could be on your own strength. Paul and Silas, they were beaten up and they were thrown into the prison and in their weakness, they're crying out to God and God gives them so much strength that when they are freed from prison, they care more about their jailer than about their freedom and they actually witness to the one who was locking them up. Holy Spirit will give you strength like that. Here's a picture of my mom. This is uh, the day of my wedding, April 3rd, 2010. Walking down the aisle, my mom was like five feet tall on a good day. And that smile was like bigger than the room. And my mom was actually here in Charleston for 21 days leading up to my wedding. Not praying, not on vacay, but fighting for her life at MUSC. She had congestive heart failure. We didn't know if she was going to make uh, our wedding. But every day, she prayed that God will allow her to make sure her boy doesn't mess it up. And <laughs> Kelly said, I do. She wanted to see it for herself, and God did that. The Holy Spirit corrects us for a greater purpose. Come on, shout back at me if you love correction. Don't lie in church. Don't lie. I set you up. None of us love correction, but correction is different than condemnation. Condemnation disqualifies us, it paralyzes us, it keeps us locked up in our own sin and our own cycles. But conviction, correction that comes from God is always an invitation to a greater purpose. April 3rd, I got married. April 4th, my wife and I, we went to sunny San Diego for our honeymoon. And I was pumped for our honeymoon for a lot of reasons. You know what I'm saying? That was a joke. But one of the reasons why I was pumped for our honeymoon is that we got to go to the Rock Church in San Diego. And the Rock Church is led by a guy by the name of Pastor Miles McPherson. And from 2007 to 2010, that church really shaped my faith in a way that I never experienced before. I've been walking with Christ for a long time, but something about the teachings out of that house really resonated with my soul. And so I'm always excited when I get to meet people who are watching online or who live and attend a different campus and they come to Mount Pleasant because they're like, hey, this is the spot where I received the word from. And I'm like, I know what that feels like. And so Easter Sunday, 2010, I'm pumped with my new wife to sit in Easter Sunday to hear Pastor Miles preach. I don't really want to share this story, but God told me I had to share it. So, you know. so right, before the, right before the service starts, these two girls walk in, and it literally looks like they were going to the beach and decided, eh, we'll just go to church. So they had their cover-ups on. You can see their bathing suits underneath, and I, I just started judging them. In my head, I was like, why are they dressed like that on Easter Sunday in church? Don't their mom teach them something? I had like, like five things that I said to myself, didn't tell my wife, while I was probably smiling at them if they had turned around. I love it when I read the New Testament and Jesus speaks to not what they're saying, but what they're thinking in their hearts. 
So service goes on. Worship is incredible. Pastor Miles gets up. That day there was an earthquake. Easter Sunday in San Diego. And if you're a pastor and you can't weave in an earthquake Easter Sunday in a sermon, you might as well just put it up and go home. <laughs> and so he does that thing. And he preaches an incredible message. And then at the end, he gives an invitation. At that time of my life, I'm a banker. At that time of my life, I didn't ever want to work for a church. At that time of my life, I couldn't even see this conversation we're having right now as a reality for me. Had no, it wasn't on my radar. But God knew. And he knew the only way he could use me is to unearth and wreck some things that were holding me back. And one of them was my pride. And so, Pastor Miles says, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, he leads everyone in the prayer on the count of three. One, two, I had no idea that I was two years away from being on staff at a church. I had no idea that I was a few years away from giving an invitation myself. I had no idea that God was calling me into ministry. Three, stand up. People all around the room are standing, and I am shook. And the two girls stand, sitting in front of me, they stand at the same time. They stand at the same time, and they look at each other, and they hug. And that's the first time I saw them the whole experience. I saw their faces, and they were bawling. Mascara everywhere. And all of a sudden, I felt the Holy Spirit say this to me. I don't know how the Holy Spirit talks to you, but sometimes he has to be a gangster with me. And he says, I'll never use you to reach people like that if you keep judging them. And I remember that rebuke from the Holy Spirit in my heart. And I was like, oh, I missed it because I saw them as far from God. I didn't see them as just moments away from walking into the kingdom. I saw them as dressed inappropriately. And I didn't even realize that God says, come as you are. He doesn't want you to clean yourself up before you come into the presence of God. Just as you are, bring it all in here. I was so far away from it. And God corrected me and broke something in my heart for a greater purpose. He set me free from my pride. And he's setting me free from that each and every day. And so for a few minutes, I want us to look at Acts chapter 17. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you to dismantle your distress. Acts 17 verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens... He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. What distresses you? Like, I got a list. Israel distresses me right now. Ukraine distresses me right now. Uh, Cold War with China. Um, uh, how come our, like, elected officials can't, like, talk like we tell our kids to talk? Like, uh, socioeconomic disparities. I went to buy my son a bike the other day, and the same bike I bought for my daughter Three years ago for 300 bucks, cost 400 bucks. I said, boy, you walking. Um, uh, like, like the struggles of this world are overwhelming, right? And he's distressed that the city was full of idols. A Greek philosopher said that it is easier to find a statue in Athens than to find a man. There are over 30,000 statues to foreign gods if you went to Athens at this time. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with uh, those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them. 
Some of them said, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Oropagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I mean, you don't do that on Facebook or social media or scroll at night with the latest ideas and the trends and the ticky-tockies and all that. I mean, that's just not you. And so we see in here so many different things. Paul is distressed, and he goes to the synagogue, and he starts reasoning with them. Then he goes to the marketplace and starts reasoning with them, and he encounters the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Stoics believe that reason rules everything. Detach from your emotions. Trust the science. Uh, the Epicureans, they believe in the avoidance of pain and the pursuit of pleasure. They didn't believe in the afterlife, and they said, you only got one shot to do this thing right. YOLO, let's go. Let's have some fun. And so he sees what they're saying. He starts talking to them. He gets disqualified as a babbler, as someone who's advocating foreign gods when he's trying to teach them about the one true God. And then they bring him to the Oropagus which is the center of political and philosophical thought. It's this outcropping, otherwise known as Mars Hill. And they say, hey, man, talk to us about what, you, what you're saying. And he says this. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul walks into this city and he's distressed by their idol worship, but he doesn't stay there. He reasons in the synagogue and the marketplace with other philosophers. And then when he gets up to speak to them, he sees that they're not just far from God, but they're crying out with their whole city to find the one true God. And so instead of disqualifying them and throwing them away and saying they're pagan and evil and smacking them across the face, he says, whoa, I see you are very religious. And then he understands them enough to use a God in their own eyes, an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. And he uses that to lead them to Jesus Christ himself. And so if we're going to reach the world around us, two things that we need to dismantle in our heart, our mindsets and our desires. Let's talk about your mindset for one. We need to dismantle our mindsets that really are fueled by the thoughts of the world and put on the mindset that comes from being rooted as a follower of Christ. I'll say it this way. Our mindsets are anchored in the word of God and strengthened by the reasoning with the body of Christ. So it comes from here, the infallible, perfect, inerrant word of God, and then it's rustled 
in here with the body of believers. So what does that look like? We tell y'all all the time to join a small group. All day, every day, join a small group. And what a small group has done for my walk with Christ is helped me go on this lifelong journey of dismantling the parts of me that are Epicurean, dismantling parts of me that are Stoic, so I'm choosing faith over the pattern of this world. My small group right now, we're reading The Meaning of Marriage, and it's amazing. Tim Keller wrote the book talking about marriage to a primarily unmarried audience. So 4,000 of his 5,000 people who attended his church were unmarried, and he's teaching on it. And as we're reading through this book, I'm realizing I've had all these expectations on my wife that have come from the standard of what the world says relationships should look like. When, when I look at God's view of marriage, I'm like, oh, man, I put that on Kelly, and I should put that on Jesus. And it's happened through the wrestling with other believers. And so you need other believers in your life so you have people you can fight with and for and have a safe place to fight from when we think about the world. We must grow in our understanding of the mindsets of others so we can reach them. Paul listened, and he learned, and he listened, and he learned, and then he realized, aha, they're looking for God in all the wrong places. And if you keep calling the other side them and leaving them over there, and how could they ever believe that, think that, vote that, whatever it is, then you will become disqualified from ever reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understanding others doesn't mean that you give up what you believe. It means you put yourself in someone else's shoes to say, I wonder how they got there. Desires. Dismantle our desire to be liked, to point others to the one we love. When you read through the book of Acts, how many times did these boys get back up when everyone was trying to knock them down? They had religious people trying to throw them in jail, people stoning them. Paul was being called a babbler and strange ideas. They even thought he was advocating other gods. He had to push through the, the discomfort of not being liked in order to point someone to the one they love. So this holiday season, yeah, pray. Pray for dinner. Yeah, your family thinks you babbling, but pray for dinner. Love them well. Give them grace. Don't give strangers grace and not your family. Like, extend it to the people that are closest to you. Well, I don't have the strength to do that. That's why the Holy Spirit's inside of you, because it's not in your own strength. Dismantle the desires within us so we can free others. I'm learning that it's hard to help others get freedom from a place I'm still in bondage. And so if I want someone else to live right morally, I got to ask myself, okay, where am I being held back? And that's what the gift of the Holy Spirit does with his gentle correction. Why do we do this all? Why? Why, Joel? We do it because we want to give the world the hope that they can't find anywhere else which is in Jesus Christ and him alone. Listen to how Paul, after dismantling mindsets, dismantling desires, listening to others, this is what he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, 
does not live in temples. What was all around Athens? Temples and statues. Does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations, and they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And then he quotes one of their philosophers and says this, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own prophet, or as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. The world needs a message of hope. The world needs us to see every red flag that they throw up as an opportunity for them to see Jesus. They're closer to the gates than you think, but if you see the world through the lens of fear and you don't see it through the lens of the hope that is in you. You won't even fight the battle that you're equipped to win. And so today, I just love to take a moment to pray for you that right where you're at, you'll feel the love of the Holy Spirit. You'll feel the love of our father and that he'll equip you with everything you'll need to fight the battle that you are in the middle of. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit. I thank you so much that I've been able to witness and see when your Holy Spirit has guided me and what looked like strategy was really just obedience. I thank you, Lord God, for when you corrected my heart and you saved me from myself. And I pray, Lord God, that today your Holy Spirit will continue the divine work that only you can do. Father, equip us to dismantle the fear in our life, to dismantle the mindsets that don't come from your heart. Help us to seek your word as the foundation by which we see everything, not political affiliation, race, creed, socioeconomic background, status in life, but only the cross of Jesus Christ. Use us today in Christ we pray. Amen.